we're going to be covering what I think is probably one of the hardest things for us to understand, but one of the most important things for us to get our arms around, no matter what age you are, and that is your identity. As you look at what the world is trying to teach everyone, young and old, is life is all about you. Life is about, they don't use the word selfish, selfish, but they tell you self-love, do what you want, build yourself up, be who you want to be, dream big, all those are not bad things, but they will not use the word that they need to use, and that is selfishness. Because everybody in the world is telling you it's all about you, which means you're selfish. And I'm here to tell you tonight, it's going to be, I'm going to turn this whole idea upside down on its head, because life is not about you. I have told men that forever. I've told my own boys that and my daughter that. When you get married, fellas, life is not about you. It's about selflessness, not selfishness. But when you listen to songs and you listen to music and you watch movies, you watch any Disney movie, grown-up movies, whatever it is, it's going to tell you life's all about you. Go do what you want. Dream big. Go chase the world. Do this. Do that. And in definition, it's selfishness. And I'm here to tell you there is a reason why there's a 50% divorce rate in America. It's because as you're growing up and as you're being taught, especially in relationships, it's all about you. Even if you think it's all about the other person, the other person is all about you because until they do something you don't want them to do, then you dump them and you move on because it's all about you. So for the next three weeks, what I want to talk to you guys about and I pray that you get your arms around is where you find your identity at. First week tonight, we're going to look at who, who we say Jesus is. In the Bible, we're going to look at Matthew 16 in just a moment with a, with, a, with a question that Jesus lays to his disciples, who do you say I am? Next week, we're going to talk about who he says we are. Tonight, we're going to talk about who we say he is. Next week, we're going to talk about who he says we are. And then week three, we're going to talk about who we serve. But listen to me, you guys. Please get this. I, even if you don't understand this, I want to give you a compass tonight. I want to give you a compass to give you a direction in your life when you're caught up in the moment and you don't know what to do and you find yourself finding an identity in someone else or what I do or or whatever that might be, who I hang with, whatever that is, I want to give you guys a compass tonight and I want you to hang on to this compass, how you find your identity in the midst of a storm. Because that's really when we're trying to find our identity. When When we're dating someone and everything's going wonderful, that's great. But I want to give you guys a compass for the next couple of weeks on where to go to find your identity. And really what, really what solidified this thought in my head, <clears throat> on New Year's Eve, Rachel and I were watching a New Year's Eve, going to watch the ball drop in New York City. And I'm not being hard on this guy because he is who he is. So I'm trying really hard not to be too critical tonight what I'm saying because it, it breaks my heart to see what you guys are getting taught life is all about because it's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. This guy named Billy Porter's got a song out, Love Yourself. And I watched thousands of people in this crowd jumping up and down and celebrating. And this dude's running around on the stage. Pretty talented guy, actually. Love yourself, love yourself. A revolution, it's about you. Revolution, love yourself. And I watched all these people, and it struck me. All these people are jumping up and down in unison, celebrating self-ishness. See, when you're a Christian... Everyone in this room who is a believer is unified in someone, and it's not you. It's him. And that's why Lexi can say no matter where you go or whatever group you're in, Jesus stays the same. 
So tonight, I want you guys to get this idea. As we look into this thought about identity, the very first thing we want to do, because I believe this, see, I believe if we can figure out who Jesus is, and we accept that truth for ourselves, and we follow him, and we listen to what he says about me and you, who we are in him, his definition of me, I believe out of that, you live a life of selflessness. Because you realize it's not about you, it's about him. And if he says, I'm someone or something in his eyes, and I'm going to behave like my Lord and Savior, he came to serve, not to serve. He came to sacrifice his life for us. And you will do the same for others. And if you get this as young people, oh man, if you'll get this as young people when you're married, you will never end up in somebody's office thinking we're going to get divorced. Because you will find someone who is like-minded, and I will never have to tell you, don't date a non-Christian. Christians are supposed to be selfless. Non-Christians learn to be selfish. You mix those two together in a relationship, and it doesn't go well. But if you guys will grab a hold of what we're going to be going over for these next few weeks, and you learn what it looks like to be selfless, oh my Lord. Pastor Dan often says it this way. What I'm trying to tell you guys is like trying to describe a sunset to a blind man. I can't tell you the level of blessing you will experience in your life when you become selfless. And everything you do or don't do becomes about him. Blessings abundant. It's unbelievable the way you can live your life. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean there's not storms. Doesn't mean there's still not sickness and disease and evil. That all runs rampant. But in the midst of that, you will live such a blessed life, it'll blow your mind. But until you get there, it's like trying to explain a, a sunset to a blind man. Man, it's beautiful. You should see it. But if you'll open your eyes and you get what I'm gonna teach you for the next few weeks and what you'll talk about at your small group tables, it'll change your life for good. So to start with, what I want you guys to do is turn your tables for just a minute. There's a couple questions at the top of that. Here's the first one. Everybody keep looking at me. If your best friend was to ask you with one word what describes you, what would they say? Let me tell you what they would have said about me in high school. <clears throat> I don't know, because nobody knew me in high school. Other than my girlfriend, Carol DeLulu, who was a little redhead. She's the only one that thought she knew me. We didn't know each other. But in my deal in high school was to get from one room to the other with nobody noticing me. And here I stand in front of a room with everybody staring at me. But in high school, I was a stoner, and that's what I would have been described at as a stoner and probably a loser and a dope addict and a troublemaker. That would have been Dan Canoost in high school. So what I want you guys to do is ask yourselves this question. If your best friend were, to ask, were asked about you one word, what well, one word would best describe you, what would they say? And the second one is this. If the average person in your school, asked, if you asked them, who is Jesus, what would they say? Talk about that at your table, and then we'll turn our attention back to the front of the room again. <clears throat> we'll, turn our, we'll turn our attention back to our small group tables. This is going to be real short and sweet and to the point tonight because we don't have much time. And I want to give you guys a little more opportunity to talk at your table. So I'll do my best to keep it short and uh, turn you guys' attention back. So I want to read a scripture to you guys. And, and what, what's happening here is Jesus has been going around performing miracles, turning water into wine, healing sick, raising people from the dead, feeding 5,000. But what he did here is kind of unique. He traveled around all sorts of communities, but the Sea of Galilee, if you can see a map, the Sea of Galilee is here, the Jordan River runs here, and the Dead Sea is down here. Up here at the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is right here. What Jesus does is he takes his disciples away from all the people. <clears throat> and when I prayed earlier tonight, away from all the people, let everything outside stay outside. 
This is kind of what Jesus is doing this. And he goes to Caesarea Philippi. And he's going to an area that is known for pagan worship. He goes north about, oh, 20, 25 miles north of Capernaum is where he goes. And it's a pagan worship area. And the, the setting in which they're having this conversation, <clears throat> if you can picture a big cliff, the disciples would be sitting here and there's a big cliff right here. And on that cliff, it used to be Baal worship. Now it's what they call the God of Pan. He's a false god, P-A-N. And Pan is basically chiseled on. They chiseled this false god's image on this cliff. And you got Jesus sitting here with his disciples and they're about ready to have this conversation that we're going to read in just a minute. So I want you to see that setting and that's why I prayed that earlier tonight because I want you guys to let everything else go away because I know what you guys go through in school. And you'll know what we go through as adults. The world has got a lot of evil in it, doesn't it? And it's hard to hang on to your faith if we were just to be totally honest. It takes effort. It takes, you have to make a choice that I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to walk with God. So what Jesus does is he takes his disciples, the 12 of them, up to this area of Caesarea Philippi. And when he asks them this question to settle who he, who, what his identity is to his disciples. So in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18 is what I'm going to read tonight. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? That's Jesus. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And he goes on to say some other stuff, but I don't have time to cover all that tonight. But what I want to do is I want to start with one thing. First thing is a startling question. Now picture this. Put yourself in this moment. The fire's probably crackling. They're all sitting around eating a piece of bread more than likely. <clears throat> and all of a sudden Jesus raises this question. Who does everyone say I am? Who do the people say I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. A lot of conversations go around. And the reason why Jesus asked this question was a little bit unique. He didn't ask it for the applause of men. He didn't ask it for a popularity contest. He wanted his disciples, he was funneling them down to a conversation he wanted to have with them. See, I love scripture because we know the story. But I always do my best when I'm reading this to put myself in the per person's spot. So Jesus didn't ask this for an opinion poll. Because see, this question of who Jesus was had been around for a long time. What kind of man is this, all of his disciples asked, when he calmed the storm? When water was coming over the boat and they didn't know what to do and they went down and they found Jesus taking a nap in the bottom of the boat and with a word he calmed the storm and the disciples said what kind of man is this the other one John the Baptist was in jail after a story that I can't don't have time to tell tonight but he says are you the one to come that's another question people would ask another question in Matthew 12 23 is come or could this be the son of David He's just got done healing a demon-possessed man. And everybody around him is asking questions who Jesus is. Could this be? Could this be? This might be. Well, the disciples get asked the same thing. And according to popularity to the community, they would have called him a prophet, a good guy, all sorts of different things. Good teacher. You ever heard that one? Well, Jesus was a really good teacher. C.S. Lewis, who was a writer back in the 40s, was a great, if you've never read any C.S. Lewis books, get them. C.S. Lewis writes very good books, but C.S. Lewis says this about Jesus. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. 
He was not a good teacher. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He was either a liar because he went around telling everybody that he was God. See, Jesus made it clear that I and the Father are one. So he made it very clear that he had deity, which means that he was in the realm of God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or he was either a lunatic. The guy was nuts. Because if I'm going around and I'm saying I'm God, how can I be a good teacher if it's a lie? Or I'm a lunatic because I'm going around telling everybody I'm God and I've lost my marbles. Or, C.S. Lewis says, he's Lord. Which is he to you? Because see, a lot of people think he lies. A lot of people thought he was nuts. But a lot of us think and believe he is Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the important thing here is it's not, the important thing that we need to look at tonight, it's not a popularity poll. It's what you say who he is personally to you. Where you sit in your chair tonight, who do you say Jesus is? Because that's the next question. He transitions from personal, from popularity opinion to personal. And man, I, this had to just be a little uncomfortable for the disciples. Well, they're sitting around, well, who's everybody say I am? And they're like, well, you know, yucking it up. Probably he says this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, who do you say I am? Now, I would like to think that the disciples were a little bit uncomfortable at this point of the night. If Jesus came up to you and he said, who would you say I am? How would you answer him? Notice something that Jesus didn't do. He didn't ask him, who do you think I am? He didn't ask him, who do you believe I am? He asked him, who do you say I am? Saying usually brings with it action. See, I can think Jesus is a great guy and he is Lord, but I behave like he's not. I may believe that he died for my sins and was raised from the dead, but I don't act like it. But when I confess, when I say like Peter did, and Peter says, you are the son, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now remember how he says this. You are the son of the living God. Remember who was chiseled on the wall? Pan, a false god. He's dead. Peter, prompted by the Father in heaven, says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And that confession that Peter came along with meant a lot, but how he said it changed everything. When Peter identified him as son of the living God, the Messiah, and you've done that, that changes the whole thing. He's no longer just a prophet and a good teacher. You, at that point, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when Peter confessed that, that changed the whole game. And I know this is short and it's sweet, but I want you guys to understand when Jesus asks these questions, he's asking you tonight the same thing. So the third thing I want to ask you is where do you stand? Where do you stand in this? Peter gave the right answer. Would you? Could you say he's Messiah? Could you say he's the son of the living God? Could you say he's my savior? Your response to Christ will determine not only your values and your lifestyle, it will determine your identity. Because once you confess him as Savior, things change in your heart. He moves in and a whole new dynamic starts when the Holy Spirit of God enters into your heart and enters into a personal conversation with you. So if you've answered he's the son of the living God, you're probably already saved. The question is, are you acting like you really know who he is?
Because I want to challenge you guys with your faith tonight. I want you to know that what you're doing confesses a lot. So whatever you say and wherever you stand tonight, turn back to your tables for a few minutes. And I want to do something. We're going to close a little bit different tonight. And I want to give you guys a few minutes back at your table. But I want you to guys understand, confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior is where you will find your identity at. But it is a matter of life and death. Because it's a matter of where we base our eternity at. Does that make sense to you guys? So turn back to your tables real quick, and then we'll close here in just a few minutes. Everybody needs a pen and a card off their table. Each person grab a pen and a card. And now what I want you to do is I want you to find one partner. Find a friend, boy, girl, girl, boy, boy, preferably, okay? So girl, meet a girl, boy, meet a boy. And then when you meet your partner, what I want you to do is whoever you're partnered up with, go stand on the other side of the room from each other. So if it's, if it's, you know what I mean? If it's Will and Caden, I want you guys to stay on the other side of the room. So preferably girl, girl, boy, boy, if I can. Take a piece of paper and a pen with you, though. Once you partner up, get across the room from your partner, all the way across the room, please. Make sure that you can see your partner. Kind of get lined up across the room so you can see them right across from them, please. Okay, everybody got a partner? Everybody lined up? Okay. I don't want any talking. Shh. You're not allowed to talk, not allowed to giggle, and then I'm going to have you do something here in just a second that's going to be really uncomfortable. But what I want you to do is look at your partner, because here's what I think. A lot of us live our lives like this with Christ. I'm over here, and he's over there. Oh, I can see him, and I know he's there. If I need him, I know he's there. Say, Will is Jesus. I know he's there. I can see him. But from this distance, how well can I see him? So what I want you to do is I want you to take two minutes, and I want you to write down attributes or characteristics about what you see in that person across the room from you. Nice things, please. I go, he's got a big pimple on his forehead. That's not what I'm looking for, okay? Nice things about the person across from you that you're partnered up with. Take one or two minutes. I'll stop you in a second. No talking. Look at the person. And from this distance, write down what you see. No words. Shh. No words, okay? Now what I want you to do is I want you to walk toward toward the person you're partnered up with until you're about this far away from each other, about one foot from each other. And then wait, 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 wait. When you get together, do the same thing. Now write down what you see about the person across from you. She has long hair. Up close, what does she have? What do you see? That's a little more descriptive, isn't it? Across the room, she has long hair. Up front, she's very descriptive, yes. You did? Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfect. Anybody else? Anybody else? Fellas, give me somebody. Seth, when you looked across the room at Coy, what did you see? Uh, basic white shoes. Basic white shoes. When you got up close, what did you see? The shoes are dirty. They're dirty. <laughs> Listen, I want to read something to you guys. I want you guys, I want to challenge you with this idea. A lot of people live their life across the room from Christ. Oh, they see him, but there's no description. 
When you get up close and personal with someone, you can give a descriptive definition of who that person is and what they look like. Man, I want you guys to get this. Because who, who do you say Jesus is? It's hard to say from across the room. But when you're up close and you're intimate and you're personal with him, you know him and he knows you. But that's the scary part. Is he knows you and we know him. He knows he's going to ask things of us that we might not be ready to do yet. But don't you dare live your Christian experience through high school or beyond across the room from Christ. I want you guys to do this up close and personal. I'm going to read something and then we're going to pray and be done. Get to know Jesus well. Because the more you know him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll want to follow him. And the more you want to follow him, the more you will become like him. And the more you become like him, the more you'll become yourself. He created you. He loves you. He died for you. He didn't do all that to have a relationship with you from across the room. He did it so he can be up close and personal and intimate with you in his relationship. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. And I pray tonight, Lord, that each one of us, including myself in this room, catch this, that we don't live across the room from you, that we allow ourselves to be close. And that's scary, Lord, because the more we know you, the more we know you're going to expect things of us because the more we're going to know about you, but you'll help us through that. You'll guide us and you'll lead us and you'll walk with us. So if you're in this room, if anyone's in this room tonight, Lord, I pray that there's no more across the room from Christ. That we make effort, we make a decision, we make a choice to seek you with all of our heart, that we might find you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.